This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This past Mother's Day, the Chicago Bulls went to the Detroit Pistons to play in a game which the Pistons lost. Uh, And if you were there uh, watching the game, perhaps you were celebrating Mother's Day. You may have noticed that there was some other activity going on around the game. Um, Instead of noting Mother's Day inside the stadium, there was a group, Worth Rises, who used that opportunity to draw attention to a very, very pressing issue um, of concern related to the prison industrial complex. Now, you might be thinking, wait, we're talking about basketball, we're talking about Mother's Day. How does that intersect with the prison industrial complex? Well, to answer that question and dive deeper into what's going on, um, I'm pleased to be joined by Bianca Tylik, um, who is the CEO and founder of Worth Rises, uh, a nonprofit that is aimed at uh, fixing prison industrial complex. And in particular, one of the things that they have been absolutely um, integral about raising awareness about is private telecommunications and the harm that they do. And that brings us to why they were at the Pistons game. So Bianca, welcome to Burn It All Down. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Amir. So yeah, let's start right off the bat. Please tell us about Worth Rises and you know the connections to the Detroit Pistons. Why were y'all there? Absolutely. So Worth Rises, we're a national nonprofit organization dedicated to dismantling the prison industry. Um, there is an $80 billion industry that is built around mass caging and mass surveillance. Uh, and we believe that we should shut down the industry that depends on caging and surveillance of people and shift the economy away from uh, prisons and jails. And so that's the work we've been doing. We do uh, in the last few years, um, we've been focused heavily on uh, the prison telecom space. Prison telecom is a $1.4 billion industry uh, in this country. It is dominated by just a few companies. Two companies own 80% of the market. They're uh, Securus and Global Telling. And Securus uh, is owned by a private equity firm uh, by the name of Platinum Equity. It owns 40% of the market, brings in over $700 million a year. And that private equity was founded and is uh, owned. And the CEO is Tom Gores, the owner of the Detroit Pistons. So... I want to really unpack before we kind of dive into to Tom and his many mishandlings of this this situation and the work that y'all have been doing around it to really kind of get a sense of how these harmful systems operate. So when we're talking about private telecommunications, when we're talking about the cost, the amount of debt that folks go into trying to communicate with loved ones, what does that look like on the ground? How much 
might somebody be charged? Absolutely. So people are charged as much as uh, more than a dollar a minute to be on the phone with their loved ones. A simple phone call in 2021 um, can cost that much. That means a 15-minute phone call um, can run as high as $16, $17. Um, in places across the country, um, charged in, in part by companies like Securus and GTL. And what does that mean for families? One in three families with a loved one who's incarcerated goes into debt trying to stay in touch over the calls of, uh, cost of calls or visits. And 87% of those uh, who are carrying that burden are women, largely disproportionately women of color. So the impact is really grave on those families. And I think oftentimes people talk about oh, well, if you go to prison or you go to jail, like you should you know, suffer the consequences. Um, but these are actually consequences not born in large part by the people who are incarcerated. They're born by families. They're born by children. They're born by grandmothers, sisters, right? Um, thankfully, people don't stop loving their uh, loved ones when they go to prison or they go to jail. Um, and, and that's necessary, right? Because if we all did that, then you know people would not be coming home to a community um, that is ready to welcome them um, in order to have you know a successful reentry, and so you know there are all these uh, families that are dying to support their loved ones inside, but these costs make it nearly impossible. Yeah, and I really appreciate the the awareness that y'all raise on this because when we think about oh the prison industrial complex, it can seem so big and looming, and we can focus on sentencing or we can focus on you know there's many places, but these are the ripple effects. These are the you know maintenance of the system that goes all the way in in terms of harm and dehumanization and and things like that. And one of the stats that you just gave, right? I noticed that in the fall and in the winter of of 2020, because of activists and groups like uh, Worth Rises and the work that y'all are doing, it did force Platinum Equity to, you know, make some small breadcrumb changes that of course they were like, look, we're doing all the work. We're reforming all this stuff. But I think this really underscores like, why reform is not uh, helpful, right? When they used to be like at $25 for like a 15 minute phone call. And then you just told us now, you know, it's more closer to like 17 and they're pulling at that and they're like, aha, progress. And it's like, no, $17 to, to talk to a loved one for 15 minutes for kids to say happy Mother's Day, to say happy Father's Day. Like that is ridiculous. Um, so, you know, we can see in that both the effect that activism has had, but also like what what is kind of left um, ahead of us. So, yeah, so y'all have been doing this. And I, I first took note of the work that y'all were doing around this back in the fall of 2020, especially when you watched the Pistons like and the NBA, like many other things, lean into Black Lives Matter, talk about this and, and do it in a performative way. And I think that uh, I remember the ad that y'all took out and you named other owners by name and you're like, okay, so if Black Lives Matter to y'all, which you say they do, then you need to be paying attention to this. Then why are you buddy-buddy with somebody involved? Um, and so I, I wanted to ask you how you saw you know, the work that y'all are doing kind of born out of other kind of grassroots activism and movement that's happening on the ground um, and what you know, successes or changes you've seen um, over this kind of most unusual year? 
Absolutely. So, you know, I think it's important to note that even this year, which has really changed the game in many, in many ways, um, still comes on the work of even a few more years where um, BLM and other types of uh, movements were getting a lot of traction. Criminal justice was starting to get traction. And then that comes on, you know, years of our ancestors and elders doing work that comes off years of right civil rights work before that. So, you know, this this work, it's all a continuum, right? And, you know, it didn't start, certainly not with us and, and you know, not in the last decade and not in the last, you know, two decades, right? Um, it's been uh, happening for a while. And, you know, we hope that every generation or every few years, right, that we get to make more progress and more progress and more progress. So we actually saw our first uh, win in this um, work really in 2018, um, which is when we led um, the first successful campaign in the country to make phone calls out of a city jail system free. Um, that was in New York City. Uh, in 2018. And when that happened, it actually went into effect in 2019. Uh, that move to save directly impacted families roughly $10 million a year, uh, increased uh, voice communication by 40% overnight for people who are incarcerated, right? And what we heard was that there was a huge influx of calls to social workers, wow. to like people who people wanted help from, right? And um, and so that was really exciting. And we got to then do that in San Francisco. Uh, San Francisco in 2019 passed the policy, implemented in 2020. Um, just in March of 2021, San Diego became the third state. Um, and in fact, uh, this month in May, uh, the uh, Los Angeles is taking a vote, uh, right? And so, you know, that's exciting to think about. Will Los Angeles become the next city? And it's not just cities, right? Even though we also see Philadelphia organizing, Pittsburgh organizing, Miami organizing, but it's also states. Um, states like Connecticut have been fighting. We've been fighting there for two years. And we expect to win in Connecticut this year as early as this week. Um, and, you know, potentially make Connecticut the first state in the country to make phone calls entirely free out of its state prison system. And there are similar fights in uh, New York, in Massachusetts that have already uh, introduced legislation. There's organizing happening in Michigan. Um, and so there is, you know, quite a, a range of um, that type of organizing, right? Over this time, in addition to those policy reforms that we are trying to drive in one, um, you know, locality and one state at a time, we have regulatory work that we're working on with the California Public Utilities Commission and the FCC, the Federal Communications Commission, right? And that corporate activism that you were mentioning, Amira, right? It's the targeting of Tom Gore's, um, and the public and making it clear that you don't get to just run around and turn your logo black and think that that means that Black Lives Matter, right? And then you support um, black and brown communities because that's not what it is, right? It's not a superficial, you know, logo change, right? It's not even a statement on your Twitter or, right, your Facebook page or your website, right? It's more than that. And what people, I think, often don't understand is that this practice of exploiting people who are incarcerated in their families. Not only does that detrimentally impact or disproportionately impact black and brown communities, because we know that um, black and brown communities are disproportionately targeted and criminalized by our system, but beyond that, what people don't understand is that hundreds of millions of those dollars that are pulled out of black and brown communities are actually funneled back to the police. 
Like these contracts that we were referring to earlier, these prices, part of it is because they pay a kickback back to the local jail or state. So it's really what we call a profit sharing agreement, right? It's, hey, I get to charge a dollar a minute in your jail and for being able to do that, I'm going to give you 50% of it. So you'll get 50 cents for every dollar. And that's what incentivizes the local counties, uh, jails, and state prisons to embark on these predatory contracts. Um, And so what does that mean? That means that we're taking, we, I should say, Tom specifically, and the securities and GTLs of the world, as taking that money straight out of communities and then giving it to sheriff's departments, giving it to wardens, giving it to the police, as we hear black and brown communities calling to defund the police, right? So you're thinking this is like entirely perverted in the way that it's, you know, being organized. And you're right, you know, Thomas made like claims that they are, you know, wildly changing the situation, that they have reduced rates by 25% um, across the country. And it's like, let me be clear, Tom has never reduced a rate because he wanted to, right? Every single rate he's ever reduced or Securus has ever been, uh, uh, has ever reduced has been forced by advocacy to re- like to actually um, happen and to reduce in that way. And so every single percentage point that that has fallen has been because of the pressure that we have raised along with our comrades um, across the movement. And so, yes, that's because of the New York Times ad, right, that we took out. It's because we got him ousted from the LACMA uh, board, right? It's because of that pressure that, um, that we've seen that type of change. Yeah, and absolutely, because one of the things that it underscores is like, this is a private company, right? Like a private company worth billions of dollars whose whose priority is profit. And, you know, we're in a year in which we saw sporting institutions, government institutions choose profit over people and lives and humanity time and time again. And, and it's very clear here, right? Like the way that they are looking at this, I mean, I was astounded to hear the way that Tom talked about this, like talk about not even tone deafness, but just like callous <laughs> disregard, right? Like this motherfucker said, it's a blessing to yeah. be a owner, right? A blessing to be an owner of a private, you know, company oh that is doing Trust this. Me. He also said that he was very hurt by our New York Times ad because he too has a family. Oh, and that the thing, and what did he invoke to like fortify himself? He was like, well, I look at like my African-American friends and cohort, he means the people who play for him. Um, and, and he's like, look at all of the stuff they've gone through right. and I'm going to buck up and fight. And it's like, you're, you're appropriating. He wants to be the white knight, right? Like, like he has a real savior complex around this, right? Where he's like, oh, this is a blessing that I'm the person in charge of this awful, awful industry. And I'm somehow going to. Every deep playoff run starts with building an amazing team. Doing the same for your business doesn't take a room full of scouts. You just need Indeed. Don't spend hours on multiple job sites looking for candidates with the right skills when you can do it all with Indeed. Hate waiting? Indeed's US data shows over 80% of Indeed employers find quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed matches their job description the moment they sponsor a job. Something I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because with virtual interviews, Indeed saves you time. You can message, schedule, and interview top talent all in one place. 
Indeed knows that when you're growing your business, you have to make every dollar count. That's why when you sponsor a job, you only pay for quality applications from resumes in our database matching your job description. Visit indeed.com slash blue wire to start hiring today. Just go to indeed.com slash blue wire. That's indeed.com slash blue wire. Terms and conditions apply. Cost per application pricing not available for everyone. Need to hire? You need Indeed. To make it better. No, you've owned it for three years at this point, and you have still yet to do anything until literally put on your heels. Um, and then to tell us that, like, you're going to save the industry? But we don't need you to save our community. We need you to get out of it. Exactly, exactly. And it's like all of the double talk that becomes shield. For the fact that, like like you said, they've never reduced a rate just because they woke up on a Tuesday morning like, hey, I'm going to be a good person today. No, like it's always about push. It's how much can I continue to profit by giving breadcrumbs to people to get off our backs about it? This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Is there something interfering with your happiness or is preventing you from achieving your goals? This is Shireen, and I have struggled with anxiety and depression in the past. I've often turned to counseling and therapy to help me through. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating in under 48 hours. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional counseling done securely online. And there's a broad range of expertise available, which may not be locally available in many areas. But this service is available for clients worldwide. Flamethrowers, wherever you are, BetterHelp can help you. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your counselor. You'll get a timely and thoughtful response. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as with traditional therapy which may not even be possible in a pandemic anyway. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. Visit their website and read testimonials that are posted there daily. Visit betterhelp.com burn that's better H-E-L-P and join the over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they have started recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. Special offer for Burn It All Down listeners. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com burn. That's betterhelp.com B-U-R-N. So I remember that at the end of 2020, there was a lot, you know, of press around this and a lot of this effort. And then like many things do, it hits a cycle and it dies down. And so I was really thrilled to hear that y'all were, you know, organizing at the Mother's Day event, especially because as we know, um, the disproportionate amount of women of color who are um 
incarcerated and also our parents. And uh, we know there are awful statistics about people who um, give birth behind bars. And so annually, mom bailouts and a lot of conversations that are raising awareness about what that looks like and how we can rethink Mother's Day, especially towards radical action, um, to think about all mothers um, in, in, in places that perhaps we disregard them. Um, and so I was really pleased to see that y'all were using Mother's Day in particular and using this Pistons game to continue, you know, this very kind of public work. So can you tell me a little bit about how that protest um, went down and, and uh, you know, what happened? Absolutely. So, you know, the first thing I want to say is that, you know, we're in Michigan, we are working with our local partners. Um, and so this action in particular uh, really was a collaboration uh, with our partners at Michigan Liberation. So big shout out to them um, for their incredible organizing and base building. And so, you know, with Michigan Liberation, we took to um, to the streets in our cars, um, which is uh, interesting. We did specifically a car caravan action. Um, and, you know, the car caravan was in large part led by um, a, a billboard truck. And so we had a um, three-side billboard truck with loudspeakers that was playing a video of um, directly impacted family members talking about how Tom impacted their life, um, how the cost of calls impacted their lives, right? Um, there was a mother whose son was incarcerated for 14 years and she, you know, paid Securus for many, many, many of those years. And, you know, she's out loud sort of saying, you know, you're a billionaire because there were times I didn't eat. Mm. The phone calls are very expensive, and um, I couldn't afford them. I, I, I never could afford them. But I knew that if I didn't pay for them, there would be no way I could talk to him, and how would I know how he was doing? So there were times when I had to do without lights, without gas. There were times I had to do without food. Yeah, there were times I talked to him in the dark, but he didn't know. As long as my phone is charged up. <laughs> there were two formerly incarcerated men that were in the video as well, talking about that impact. And so, you know, we uh, took that billboard truck and, and drove that around for five hours. <laughs> um, but that started the, the caravan. There was then, you know, about 15 to 20 cars um, that joined us. Um, and more folks who were in each of those cars. And we went over to the stadium, um, you know, did a few laps around the stadium and eventually blocked off the player and staff entrance to the building. And so that was a few hours for the game. We had, um, you know, uh, some uh, insight into what time everybody arrives. Um, and so we were able to disrupt the entrance of many of the players. Um, you know, specifically we saw... Uh, Corey Joseph and uh, Killian Hayes and Jaleel Okafor, uh, Mason Plumley and Dennis Smith Jr. all showed up during the action. Um, and, you know, all were diverted. The security at that point had obviously, um, you know, sort of... Uh, uh, came together, was trying to figure out what to do, right? Um, where to direct players. Each of the players what ended up being escorted um, by police security into the building one by one. Mm. Um, and about, you know, a dozen uh, cops later, a few tickets handed out, four tow trucks and a helicopter, uh, we finally pulled off. Um, but I think it was at that point that, you know, we had already made 
um, our presence very clear um, to the stadium, to the staff, uh, and to Tom. That's amazing. Um, I uh, think it's really important to know too. It's you know obviously we're a sports podcast and we think sports are the center of, of many things, but I do want to underscore like why action around the Pistons around the NBA. We spoke to Tom for almost a year before oh, they just we went didn't. to the NBA. They didn't do anything. They didn't do anything until they still haven't done anything, right? Like the right. little bits and pieces that they've done are not like what we've demanded or asked for. It's right. like as little as they can get away with. So, yeah, right. to be very clear, like, no, we actually, you know, we believe in escalation tactics, right. right? And so we will always try to have a conversation with you beforehand. I've personally right. spoken to Tom. So what really happened was we, like, spoke to them all of 2019. Right. Then the beginning of 2020, we were supposed to have a meeting with families. Right. Um, and two weeks or three weeks before that meeting, after three months of, like, having it on the schedule, Tom canceled the meeting and ghosted us for the, like, for the next 10 months or so of 2020. And that was when we went to the LACMA in September of 2020. Mm -hmm. And um, after that, we went to the New York Times, right, and we took out that ad. And that was when we really popped up for the first time in front of the NBA. It was after that we showed up at the NBA that they agreed to talk to us again. But that also didn't last because when I, like, when, you know, I responded to them like, okay, we can have a meeting. They ghosted us once again. They sent a solid one email at the request of the <laughs> NBA. And that was it. Right. Now, because of the Samantha B piece that was, right. you know, a few weeks ago and, um, you know, some of the stuff that's going on to Detroit, I have another meeting with them next week for the first time in... In so one of the things, so one of the things that we've seen with them is, despite you know attempts for worth rises to be in conversation, it seems like they only react to pressure. That's it. Right. That's what we know. They only right. react to pressure. So when people say why, 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 no, because literally without this, they wouldn't be having conversations. So exactly. we can get one email here, one email there, right? And now you know we're having a meeting, but it's like, you know, we've been having meetings with them for two years. Mm -hmm. At this point, it's like, I'm not really that interested in having meetings with you. Like, you're gaslighting, right? right? Like, exactly. you know, I literally had a representative call me and be like, I just really appreciate all the work you do. No, you don't. Stop it. Right. Like, right. I like flattery will get you nowhere in this conversation. I get that you're new to the team. Right? Like, you know, at the end of the day, for us, it's very clear. It's very black and white. Right? Yeah. Do the things we asked you. Or, like, don't, you know, don't bother. But they're engaged in performance. They're there yeah. for the performance. They're there for the performance and to exactly. say that they're in conversation. Right. And the conversation is going nowhere. And, like, what I mm. always tell everybody is I always recall this one conversation, this one thing that Tom said to me. And he said to me once, Bianca, progress needs patience. Mm. And I thought to myself, like, in this moment, wow, like this man with $6 billion is talking to me about how like our families who are struggling to pay their bills tomorrow should have patience with him about how fast he extracts resources uh, from them, right? right? And my response to him was patience needs progress. Right. And what the hell are we waiting for anyways, for you to figure out how you still can profit? Like, what are we waiting for exactly? Well, and here's the interesting thing. He, not too long ago in an interview, he said specifically, I think this should actually be a nonprofit business. 
I don't think this should be a for-profit. And this was like his like epiphany. And as I was like reading this, I thought to myself, you have the power to do that. This is not a, like, this isn't out of your hands. This isn't like, oh, I don't know what I would do. Like, you have a power to not make money on this. Like, you right. have that power, right? You chose to get into this business. You're choosing to stay in this business. You're choosing to continue to operate it in this predatory way. Like, these words don't mean anything. And so, you know, he can try to formulate all of the right talking points for the public, but the reality is the reality. Families are still suffering. Absolutely. And I I appreciate your energy with that, especially because it seems like too many people are, are very content, especially folks like Tom, to be like, I can perform empathy, barely. I can, you know, perform care and concern and and do all the things that are required of me and then also be very good at wielding passive voice. Like, this is a problem. Like, we should fix this. Like, and write themselves and their ability to do anything out of it. And that's how power gets in, made invisible. But we can see it. And because of the work that y'all do, right, because of the pressure you apply, we can see it. It is very clear. The emperor has no clothes. He's doing the most, right? And he's continuing to profit off of something that is absolutely exploitative and harmful and, and really terrible. The last thing I want to ask, because you mentioned the players who kind of saw it, you know, we talk about athletic activism a lot, and, and I think that there's a lot uh, to shoulder <laughs> when they're navigating that space. But when you were like, all the people walking by and seeing it, I'm wondering if we're hopeful that there's maybe an impact that that had. Yeah. So I think the first thing I say is, yeah, I don't, I, I think generally I'm very, very um, cognizant, aware, careful, thoughtful about relying on players and expecting them to be the ones to um, come up against, you know, their owners, right? Which in and of itself, let me just sit that, right? Like that language, right? So I think that's hard. And I know that everyone wants to jump to why isn't, you know, this player, that player, or whoever, like, getting on board, do they not care? It's like, no, but they also come from, many of them come from these same communities. Many of them like don't exactly have a whole lot to fall back on. Many of them have like made it and like aren't trying to be martyrs, right? Like not everybody wants to be and should be required to be Colin Kaepernick who like lost his career over this, right? And so, you know, we want to think about what are thoughtful ways to engage players that also, like, protects them. And part of that also means um, organizing others who have more power. Like, what about the other owners? Right? Where are they in this game? Right? That's why we're talking to the NBA. That's why we're approaching the Board of Governors, because those other owners, they were also part of all those conversations about BLM, right? They were also doing all these things. And guess what? They have a ton of power, right? They're, they're uh, Tom's peers, So, you know, I think what we know after the action that we did last week, um, having been able to have some follow-up conversations with some of the players, um, that, you know, they were surprised, they were shocked, they didn't know, and they're learning now. Um, And, you know, so where that goes, who knows? Um, But, you know, I think we are in touch with a few, and you know, we're hopeful that uh, there is enough of a mass that it creates um, safety for those who want to speak out. 
Well, Bianca, thank you so much for your time, your energy, the work that you do. For anybody listening who wants to support the pressure that uh, Worth Rises is applying, um, how can they help y'all out? How can they, you know, donate? Where can they um, subscribe for updates? How can they get involved? Absolutely. So uh, there's a few things I would tell you to do. Um, one is you can subscribe to our newsletter and donate on our site at worthrises.org. You can follow us uh, to follow up with all actions and everything going on on Twitter and on Instagram uh, at worthrises. Um, you can also, if you're interested in getting involved in prison phone justice work um, in your community or beyond, uh, visit connectfamiliesnow.com. And if you want to take action against Tom, um, you can visit um, connectfamiliesnow.com. You can also go to worthrises.org backslash NBA Gores to take action. And so uh, there are many, many ways um, to, to raise your voice. Yeah, absolutely. Let's get Tom out of the paint because I can't resist a sports metaphor. Ever. <laughs> uh, Bianca, thank you so much for uh, joining us on Burn It All Down. Thank you so much for having me, Amir.